Blog Talk Radio. Actually, 
and, you know, that will be part of it there, but there are several things that I would like to hit on. In particular, you know, a couple of issues that are happening in the secular community, and that will be coming up a little bit later. Next Sunday's show, we'll be talking about political functions of the God concept. So, you know, um, just it should be an interesting show. The Sunday after that, the Bible series, and we'll be paralleling the story of Exodus and black Christian thought here in America and how many black Christians see um, some type of historical tie between what happened to blacks in America and what happened in the story of Exodus. So that should be um, interesting. Uh, Let's see here. And Sunday after that, we'll be talking about body image policing and different shame tactics that are used um, in our society. So it should be, you know, a pretty good show. And so, you know, I'm looking forward to um, all of that. So, you know, again, in the news this week, you know, we had some really, really interesting things come up. The one story that I found quite interesting was um, for the King Memorial Concert, for those of you who aren't familiar, they... There's a bunch of celebrations happening in D.C. for the 50th anniversary for the March on Washington. So basically there was a concert that was supposed to take place um, tonight, as a matter of fact. Was it tonight? No, it was yesterday, as a matter of fact, at the King uh, Memorial. And basically... Donnie McClurkin was one of the guest artists, and they asked him to withdraw. And he was pressured to withdraw from last night's performance. And, you know, for those of you who aren't familiar with Donnie McClurkin, he's basically a black gospel singer as well as a pastor. He has his own church in New York, and he considers himself an ex-gay. And basically... Um, He's given some homophobic, you know, sermons and tirades, if you will, you know, that have affected um, the LGBT community. I remember he, a couple years ago, he released this video in which, you know, he was preaching at some church, and it was a youth conference, and he went in on LGBTQ youth. And you know, I don't know if he doesn't understand or if he just plain doesn't care about the emotional impact those types of sermons have on just LGBTQ in general. But when you're talking about the youth, the young people, you know, it has an even deeper impact. I mean, no one should grow up, you know, thinking that there is something wrong with them. No one should have to endure that, you know, not at all, not even a little bit so. He was pressured to withdraw from that particular um, um, concert there. And, you know, basically the concert last night was one, it's the first in a series of events over the next two weeks that will commemorate the 50th anniversary of the March on Washington. And so he released a video. He made a video in which he, you know, claimed that he was being discriminated against that his First Amendment rights, you know, were being, you know, trampled upon, if you will. And he was making, he called it racism and 
again, making all of these different accusations. Um, and what's interesting, he's claiming that he was being bullied. Now, the interesting part about that is that he's bullying LGBTQ community, in particular youth, and he called them, you know, called them vampires, and um, he compared them to drug dealers, prostitutes, and gang members. And he was bullying them, and because someone is standing up and saying no to his rhetoric, now he feels that he's being bullied, and it's just it's outrageous. It's absolutely outrageous. And so he released a video. And he, you know, basically, um, you know, was making all of these different claims and very upset that, you know, he was dropped from the itinerary. And I'm not sure why he doesn't understand. You know, he compares homosexuality to diabetes. He says, I don't eat sugar, but it doesn't mean that I don't want sugar. And, again, you know, there are persistent rumors about his sexuality and his private life. And... um you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, I just tell young people, you know, you can't necessarily listen to people like that. No, you know, when it's harmful, you let that go. We have Raina on the line with us here. And, hey, and, hey, that was horrible. I just wanted to say something about about this um, <clears throat> this free speech violation you know, uh, you know, plea that every person makes when they feel like they can't, when when they've been asked to to not show up or when they've been asked to distance themselves from a particular event. It's not that he, Donnie McClurkin has no free speech. It's that he can't, you can't exercise your free speech everywhere. If I invite you to speak at my event and you are say things that I find offensive, I don't have to invite you to my event. That doesn't stop you from using your free speech elsewhere. You just can't do it in in, in my event, in, in the situation exactly. that I'm inviting you to. And that's like what I what I <laughs> one of the things I hate whenever I hear people say, "Oh, you're violating my free speech." It's like, no, I don't have to give you a platform. You know, I can't stop you from saying what you're saying, but I don't have to give exactly. you a platform. Exactly. Exactly. I agree with you 100%. You know, people are allowed to express themselves any way that they see fit, but that doesn't mean that I have to give you a venue to express said thoughts. And Mm -hmm. that's what a lot of people get mixed up. You know, I am not obligated under any manner whatsoever to, you know, know, continue to allow you to, to spread, you know, thoughts and perceptions that I do not agree with. You know, do that on your own time. So, you know, I don't understand. But, you know, I mean, they're not used to having people tell them no. They're used to the old way in which they were able to, you know, name and shame. And that's not happening anymore. And it just goes back to... Again, you know, with some of these, you know, people, they really do do need some counseling. And I'm not saying that he needs counseling for being an ex-gay or anything, because I don't believe in ex-gay. There's no such thing as ex-gay. Now, you can choose not to have sexual relations, but that does not change, you know, your preference 
your, you know, your natural inclinations, if you will. But um, Right, and sexuality is food anyway. So, I mean, you know, it may very well be that you are maybe at this point not as attracted to men as you were in a, in a previous period in your life. You know what I mean? But the fact of the matter is, is that you should not be – um, you should not be, you know, using hateful language and, and rhetoric against um, against gays and lesbians, particularly when there's so many gays and lesbians in the church. And, and they're not just in the church. But like, if these people were not in the church, the church would, would basically cease to exist because these are the people exactly. who are you know, intellectual and, you know, um, creative talent are used to, uh, are, are essentially the foundation of the church. So there's really, um, you know, I, I think that that the church would at least just be silent. You know what I mean? Not that silence right. is helpful, particularly, but um, I think in, in some ways, um, and in some ways I guess one could argue that silence is more harmful, but, um, you know, the, the fact that you're talking about these things when, you know, more than likely most of the church leadership, you know, is probably LGBT. You know, not out, obviously, but more right. than likely, you know, given what I've, I've known of the church and what I know many others to know um, in their respective churches or, or experiences they've had, it's, um, it's amazing to me that some of these people can get up there and speak like that without feeling some kind of conviction you know, on just the hypocrisy, you know? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Big time. And it's hurting people. It's hurting youth. It's hurting adults, you know. And, you know, unfortunately, I believe that, you know, the generation that, you know, the generation in particular that, you know, preceded him, it hurt him, <laughs> whereas he was able to be who he was. He wasn't able to come out. And in some cases, with some of the, you know, homophobic rants that I hear from different people, sometimes I wonder if it's jealousy because they weren't able to come out, whereas these younger generations are feeling freer and they're able to come out, you know, um, and, and, and not, you know, and be themselves. And they're at the point, many of them, they don't care. They're going to be who they are. It's becoming more accepted, if you will, more tolerated, if you will. The younger generations are more accepting of one another. And it's just the whole thing, is, it's mind-boggling. But, you know, what gets me the most is the fact that he's claiming that he's being discriminated against. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to figure exactly. out, you know, you know, what's happening. And in this article it says, is he ex-gay or is he merely recloseted? Well, my my issue is not that he's being discriminated against. He is being discriminated against. The question is, is he being unfairly discriminated against? And clearly he's not being unfairly discriminated against, particularly in context of what the March in Washington was and who Martin Luther King was and who the, who, who the brains behind the operation, you know, for right. the March on Washington, who that person was. So given those factors, I think that it's not unfair to discriminate against somebody who would um, espouse or possibly even voice his um, homophobic, uh, you know, his his outward, rather, homophobic beliefs. 
whether or not he actually is homophobic in his in his private life is you know remains to be seen. But you know, exactly, you know, it's, exactly. It's not unfair, you, know? you can discriminate people against people for fair reasons. I discriminate against people who are racist, particularly people who hold racist beliefs against me. I don't have to be in your presence. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, you know, and, and true, because, you know, Bayard Rustin, Ace of Philip Randolph, you know, they were the strategists behind the March on Washington. And Bayard Rustin just received the um, Presidential Medal of Freedom. And he was an openly gay black man. So I felt that it would have been, you know, a slap in his face to have, you know, Donnie McClurkin up there you know, going into a homophobic rant and considering that, you know, Martin Luther King as well as Coretta, um, they were allies to the LGBTQ community. Now, I don't know what happened to his daughter, you know, Bernice and, you know, his niece, Alveda. They're on some whole other thing there. But, again, you know, at the end of the day, I believe they did the right thing by, you know, allowing him to move on, and, you know, that's just how that goes. So that was one of the stories that I found interesting um, in the past, you know, 48 hours, you know, actually. There's another story. Um, Eric Holder, I guess he's going to give a press conference tomorrow. And in the press conference tomorrow, um, they're going to be talking about policy change um, in the incarceration process. You know, there are going to be some modifications. And that's a wonderful thing. It's actually a yeah. very, one, you know, good thing here. And um, they want to leave a legacy, you know, by, you know, um, overhauling the drug policy reform. So that is fantastic. You know, well, they said earliest next week, so, you know, I won't hold it to Monday. But um, this is wonderful. This is wonderful. So, guys, you know, I want you to look out for that. And some of the um, policies that they want the Obama administration to take a look at is, um, you know, it's a bunch of different things. But, you know, the Safety Valve Act, the Smarter Sentencing Act, Public Safety Enhancement Act, they want them to nominate a drug czar, you know, who's going to prioritize reducing the federal prison population and undoing racial disparities. So, you know, that is wonderful. They want them to issue directives keeping federal law enforcement from interfering with state efforts to regulate marijuana instead of criminalizing it. I'm sure you should hear some woo-hoos in the background about that. Uh, so. <laughs> and yeah, look, not just these, but the sound of lighters and torches all over the country. <laughs> so, you know, look that this week. Um, look for that to be dropping this week. So I just think that's a wonderful development that, you know, they're trying to make some meaningful changes. And, you know, hopefully it will be bipartisan. Hmm? I was going to say, oh, it's not going to be bipartisan. Forget that. But um, <laughs> but the main thing is, but the main thing is, we'll have to wait and see how meaningful these, you know, these uh, recommendations are, and um, whether or not they they find, um, you know, footing in in the legislature. You know, um, 
you know, these sound like all very high-minded, you know, you know, ideas and things that would, you know, benefit. But um, we have to remember that the prison industrial complex is um, is a huge um, part of this economy, you know, and um, there there are there are some companies. I mean, there's a you know a multi-million dollar, you know, even you know, close to billion dollar companies that um that benefit largely on the backs of you know prison labor, and um, you know, I mean, I I I I applaud you know the the thinking, but I I want to see what it actually does on the ground, and um right. and I what hope that somewhere in those discussions is um or, you know is some kind of discussion of how to um, how to change laws so that it is easier for uh, for people who have a criminal record to get things like housing, food stamps, um, you mm-hmm. know, employment, education. you know, education, you know what I mean, and all of these other things that will benefit them, you know, um, because you know without a discussion of those things, I mean, you know, it's it's you know it, it'll make it it'll make a difference, but not really. You know what I mean? We have to think about exactly. what these people are going to be doing when they get out. I mean, otherwise, exactly. we're, we're not going to reduce our recidivism or, you know, improve these um, poor and low-income or these low-income communities, um, particularly those of color. You know, so right now, and you're absolutely correct. You know. Oh yeah, and I posted a video earlier um, this week, and I'll look for it and repost it again. But it's, it's on my wall from earlier this week, in which it discussed um, basically the barriers um, that are in place for people who were formerly convicts or formerly had some type of um, you know conviction on their records. How there are barriers from them getting their education, and you know, it talked a little bit about you know um, social programs, barriers to social programs as well, and those are very real issues, and those are policies that need to be revamped or just rewritten, and because it's not fair. And you know, one thing that I've said in the past, I said it then, and I mean it now, that I feel as though. With some of these companies that are making a lot of money, you know, they send their labor, if you will, to the prisons. And, you know, the prisoners making a dime, 20 cents an hour, while they're doing telemarketing or customer support. Um, and when these people leave the prison system and they apply at some of these same larger companies, the companies will not hire them because they have a record. But yet when they were incarcerated for one, two, five, ten years working for your company, they were some of your top producers, some of your top employees, but yet when they leave the system, you don't want to hire them. And I find that incredibly unfair. It's very biased. And going back to what you said earlier about these prison systems making money. That is absolutely correct. Some of these private prison systems are being publicly traded, you guys. They're making money, and you need to understand how that system works because basically, you know, they're they're banking on, you know, people going to jail. They're banking on people, you know, not understanding the law. There are some people that are incarcerated because they didn't understand the law, innocent people. You know, or people who should not have received, you know, the sentences that they, you know, received for whatever reason. But, again, you know, 
it's about educating people. It's about getting out here. It's about, you know, producing and yielding better, positive, productive results. And, you know, part of that is putting the information out there. You know, again, we're going to have to find a lawyer and bring them on so people can learn, you know, find out ways in which they can get their um, their records sealed. In some cases, you may be able to get it purged, get your voting rights back, you know, education, education, knowledge. But it seems as though they're trying to make some changes, but as Raina said, how will it be implemented? You know, and, and that's the main issue there. Even if they make the changes, will they be implemented fairly? Will they be implemented at all? You know, will that information be filtered down to the people who really need to know it? So, you know, that's you know, that's another thing that was going on this week that I found interesting. Um, another show, I'm sorry, not another show, another story that I found interesting was a mostly white Ohio suburb is fighting to prevent mostly black bus riders from entering their community. I posted that, and I found that, you know, uh, and so this is in um, Ohio. You know, this is in the Midwest, and basically they're – it seems as though they don't care if they lose millions of dollars in federal highway funding. They just want to keep the minority bus riders from, you know, entering their community. And let me see here. This is the Greater Dayton Regional Transit Authority. I posted this earlier this week as well. And Beaver Creek, a largely white suburb, Beaver Creek, a largely white suburb, 15 minutes east of Dayton, and, you know, they're like, no, we're not having it. And let's see here, nine out of ten Beaver Creek residents are white, but 73% of those who ride the Dayton RTA buses are minorities. And, wow, you know, they don't want African Americans going on a consistent basis to Beaver Creek. And this is what the state chair of Common Cause Ohio stated. His name is Sam Gresham. And, you know, to think, this is 2013, and we're still having these issues. And, you know, people try to tell us that we're living in a post-racial society. I don't see how. I don't see how, you know, and it goes back to something that I've brought up before and I've posted about the redlining, um, you know, the FHA being complicit and, you know, the ghettoization of black America. I've posted a couple of articles on that, and it's still going on today, you know, and in regards to what we just had with, the, you know, the housing bubble bursting, if you will, a lot of black wealth was lost in that. And many people of color were taken advantage of, and they lost a lot of their wealth. So, you know, again, you know, once well take that inspiration, do some research, and, you know, understand what's happening out there. And it's just this it's black happening. But our call-in number is 310-982-4273. Again, that's 310-982-4273. But I wanted to make sure you all got a chance to read that story. I think I put it 
it on my wall last week, but I'll go ahead and put it in the chat room as well. But, um, you know, guys, these are just further examples as to what's happening out there, what people are facing, and it goes back to, you know, you have certain sectors telling us that it's a figment of our imagination. No, it's not. No, it's not. And those are some of the same people that want to drop the whole race conversation. And it's not going to go away. We have to talk about these things. And so, you know, that being said, <laughs> President Obama was in Phoenix Tuesday, right? And ironically, he was talking about, you know, responsible home ownership. And apparently he has some protesters out there protesting his policies. And, you know, they started singing bye-bye black sheep at one point. And another sign that says impeach the half-white Muslim. And people are out there, they were shouting, he's 47% Negro. And, you know, one of the protesters said, we have gone back so many years. He's divided all the races. I hate them for that. You know, so, you know, the whole thing, you know, what's happening there is, you know, and, you know, there were protesters that met him um, in a few places that he's been lately. And, you know, I just find it, you know, disheartening that we're still dealing with, you know, these types of issues. And yet we're still being told that, you know, it's a figment of our imagination or we're being too sensitive and, you know, we're reading too much, you know, into the situation. And, again, um, the whole thing, like I said, you know, um, it's interesting. But our call-in number is 310-982-4273, press 1 to let me know if you want to speak. And, you know, there, you know, there have been a lot of things happening in the news lately. And I just want you guys to, you know, definitely keep up with the research, pay attention to what's happening around you. And, you know, um, it's a bunch of things, you know, that are going on. In particular, there was a story that I posted today in which, a white Republican basically said that he wanted to defund poor white trash, if you will. Those are his words, not mine. And, you know, I made a comment as to most of the social programs that are out there, the federal social programs, basically you know, they're being utilized by economically disadvantaged whites. You know, but, you know, again, the narrative has been painted that it's people of color. And, you know, I just found it interesting that, you know, Dana Rohrabacher from California, you know, is now going after poor whites. And this kind of ties into what I was talking about last week when I posted that article talking about how poor whites are being hidden and how it goes against, you know, capitalism, and that's why they're being hidden and pushed to the background. And so it's just, you know, it's important for you guys to pay attention 
to these types of stories, to these types of things, because it's happening all around us. And, you know, it's important that, you know, what's going on. So, you know, that being said, you know, we're going to go a little bit into our topic today somewhat. Um, I actually want to talk somewhat um, about some issues that are happening in the secular community. Now, we've done a couple of shows on sexism and racism in the black, I'm sorry, in the atheist community. We've done a few shows talking about sexism and racism. And basically, we've seen some stories as of late that are a little concerning. And usually we kind of get, you know, when I do the shows like that, we kind of get stuck on a racism part, and we get a little bit to the sexism, and we've done some shows specifically geared towards sexism. But I want to make sure that we talk about this um, today because there are some claims of sexual harassment in the atheist community against some really, really, uh, well, with people would consider big names in the atheist community. And so, you know, it's been happening this past week. Would you agree, Raina? Oh, yeah. Like, um, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to name any of the names because I don't know, I don't know whether or not these things are true or not. What I do know um, is that um, I commend the bravery of the individuals who come out because, um, you know, we all know how um, prone victims are to being shamed into silence. And I applaud them for not being shamed into silence, even though, um, some of them were initially. I applaud them still for coming out, even um, after some time. Um, and right. I have to say that um, that some of these things don't surprise me, particularly the responses that they right. garnered, um, when, um, you know, from some some of the organizations, because these are uh, complaints that have been made for quite some time. Um, even before these things came out, people were just saying, "How about we?" have some kind of structure in place or some rules in place that would um, would tell people how to deal with these uh, things um, or, or, or rules that the organizations would have to adhere to in dealing with these situations so that the rights and um, and um, the rights of individuals or of, of the particularly victims are respected and um, you know people were very um, were very antagonistic. You know, just mm-hmm. the idea of having a sexual harassment policy, just exactly. the idea of having a policy, not saying that it was a waste of time, and, you know, it doesn't take a whole lot of time to come up with a policy, you know? Right, I mean, um, that is cookie cutter, right. Yeah, it's, it doesn't take a whole lot of time to come up with that, but... Um, you know, there are many policies out there, but the essential thing is, is when, when, especially when you've been asked to stop, stop. That's the first rule. Um, you know, and, and just, and otherwise, you know, just 
to respect people into their beings and to um, respect their right to say no at any given time. You know what I mean? It's, you know, mm-hmm. you, you may think that just because you find someone attractive does not mean that you have the right to walk up to them and to make them uncomfortable or to or that you have uh, the right to kind of put them in a corner and tell them, I think you should give me a chance, you know? No, they're not obligated to give you a chance. You know what I mean? Right. They're not obligated to, they're not even obligated to uh, to like or enjoy the attention that you're giving them. They're not obligated exactly. to do that. Um, and so, you know, you should, you should just, we should create an environment where people are respected. You know, not saying that you can't be attracted to someone, not saying that you can't um, ask someone out on a date or, or any of those things, but there, there are ways of handling it. And there are, you know, we're social animals. So, and some of us in this community, um, I, I don't know what it is. I think some of us are missing our social chips. You know, we don't, we don't pick up on social cues very well. You know, it's just, um, it's just like a story that I read recently this man was um, on a train, and he saw this man, um, you know, talking to this young woman on the train. He clearly didn't want to be bothered. She was reading her book. She wasn't, you know, really trying okay. to engage the man. And he kept trying to get her to smile at him. He kept trying to say, oh, you should smile. And, you know, oh, I love your hair. And, you know, you're, you're really fit and all these kinds of things. And so the man I, um, decided to gives this other gentleman a taste of his own medicine, and he didn't like it. He said, he right. said I'm not gay, and, you know, you should stop bothering me. I wasn't bothering you. And he was like, okay, well, how do you think she feels? Exactly. Exactly. When you're doing that, you know? Exactly. She's not, she's not it, there it, for it, you. She's, yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah, no, and I was going to say I agree with you, and I also want to say that, you know, we applaud you know, the women that, you know, have come out, and we anticipate even more women coming out telling their stories about how they were harassed and in some cases assaulted. And, again, you know, you know, more and more of the information is starting to pour in, but, um, you know, the way that I see it is that, you know, victims, have a hard time coming forth because in many cases they're seen as guilty until proven innocent. And the accusers are seen as, you know, innocent until proven guilty. And then you have some people that are in power that are, you know, redefining what harassment and assault is or saying that, oh, it's really not a problem. And, you know, that's where some of the misogyny and all of that comes in, and you have people out here deny what has happened, even though they had some information from the very beginning, and in some cases the people admit it. You know, the harassers right. admit it, you know, that they had done what, you know, the woman accused them of doing. But yet, you know, they're given a slap on the wrist, and, you know, so, you know, it, it makes me wonder, and you all have heard me talking about this for a while, and I'm going to stay on it for a while, but I'm starting to see quite a bit of parallels, if you will, between what's happening over on one side of the equation on the other side of the equation. 
was the cover-ups, the denial, you know, the blame, the victim. And that's not that's not right. That's not cool. You know, we point the finger at the religious people, but when people start pointing the finger back at us, then it's a totally different story. Why is that? Absolutely. Well, because because over here we're supposed to be so enlightened and so mm-hmm. and, and so and so so reasonable. Surely, surely, with all of this reason and all of this logic. You know, none of us would have, you know, these um, sort of antiquated views, which is completely not true. And, you know, I mean, some of us knew that already, you know. Um, You know, I knew that already. I know a lot of other people knew that already, you know. But some of us are starting to wake up. I mean, and and, and one other thing I read this week about what's been going on behind the scenes um, just illustrates one of the issues um, you know, sort of uh, relevant to today's conversation. Um, people all the time, from uh, you know, uh, people who are anti-feminist and anti-LGBT, they often try to suggest that there's some kind of agenda that uh, right. uh, there's some sort of gay agenda and uh, a feminist agenda which supports um, homosexuality in particular. And I find this really interesting because there are quite a number of gays and lesbians, and um, and one particular article cited a very prominent gay person in this community who um, ha- ha- holds some very sexist ideas, um, according to according to this article and to um, according to various other things I've read and heard over the years, um, you know about this person. You know that you know that um that you know that he he basically and this person has um also it appears uh engaged in some form of cover up um and also attacked people um you know who have wanted to get some of these um sexual harassment policies written and implemented at certain conferences. So um, exactly. you know, I think it's, I think I think it just it just illustrates another another issue that you know just because you're a feminist or just because you're gay does not mean that you're just because you're gay doesn't mean you're a feminist or just because you're a feminist does not mean that you're pro gay. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You're yeah. absolutely correct there, and that's the reason why you know it's important to have you know these policies in place. But, you know, what's the use in having the policy if the organizations are going to do nothing? And it's until those organizations get hit with said lawsuit, then they'll be willing to start, you know, implementing and, you know, enforcing these policies because I well, just see that. I, I agree with you. I agree with you, but it's also hard to hold them accountable, you know what I mean, in, in, in particular cases without one. You know, like, it's... You know, sometimes sometimes a woman doesn't want to go to the police, and she shouldn't right. have to go to the police. You know what I mean? Right. Because exactly. I mean that that experience by itself can be humiliating for a victim. You know, and I mean, even in those cases. But no, I'm saying they have to recount the story over and over, and in in some cases they know nothing is going to come of it, and it, sometimes it makes it hard for them to come forward. And, you know, again, you're dealing with a good old boys network. You know, even if they, if, if the P 
people in power try to give, you know, the woman some words of encouragement, you know, just going through the act of recounting the situation can be, you know, intimidating, humiliating, you know, a lot of different things there. So you're right. You know, some people don't want to come forward for a number of reasons, then especially, you know, if it turns into, uh, if, if it's litigated. You know, they don't want to have to relive that situation, but, you know, I believe one good lawsuit will shut that down. And what well, I, thought, I mean, you know, the thing about it, well, that's what I was saying, like, you can't get to the lawsuit if you don't get someone to come forward. But my thing is, right. is that with or without a lawsuit, with or without law enforcement intervention, these organizations, when this information is presented to them, have an obligation that they have not been meeting. And, you know, right. um, bottom line, they have an obligation, particularly when there are instances, when there are more than one, in, when there's more than one instance of sexual harassment right. or, or even sexual assault or, or other sexual violence that has occurred um, with particular individuals, you know, regardless mm-hmm. as to whether or not they've been prosecuted, when you know that there's been several, you know, of these incidents occurring, you at the very least need to monitor this situation more closely. Right. Um, but, but certainly um, I think those individuals should not be invited back um, or should, or, or should, or their, or their affiliation with the organization should be restricted, you know, exactly. to, to a greater degree um, at the very, at the very minimum. But to know, but to know, and I don't mean just like, uh, you know, there's there's rumor, and but sometimes rumors are true. You know what I mean? When you get a lot of rumors about a particular person, um, you know, from from different parties that have, you know, no um, no shared agenda per se, um, that's mm-hmm. generally an indicator that there's something going on there. And I'm I'm not right. saying that we should ruin people's careers on the basis of rumor. I'm saying that that is. To me, at least, an indicator that you should monitor that situation more closely, and that you should, um, you know, maybe investigate a little bit more. In some of the cases, it looks like some of these um, investigations that were done were not for were not for the benefit of the victim, but were for the benefit of the perpetrator um, in trying to uh, see if the victim was, you know, quote unquote, loose. You know, or to, you know, so it's really about shaming the victim into silence. So, well, um, oh well, you know, he couldn't have, you know, uh, sexually harassed you or sexually assaulted you because everybody knows that the last conference that you were at, you know, you slept with so and so, and the one before you slept with, you know, so and so, and you know, and you're known to be out there. So clearly, no one can right. rape you. You know, exactly. Um, you know, exactly. that's, it's that kind of thinking. Mm-hmm. That's, a that's true. And, you know, the unfortunate, you know, one of the unfortunate, you know, uh, aspects to the situation, and we've seen this in a couple of occasions, whereas, you know, you have women out here that protest against, you know, the harassment, if you will, then some of those same women are attacked. And and um, someone in the chat room said, yeah, the victim's reputation is tarnished as a troublemaker. And someone else said, when you get the troublemaker label affixed to you, you become such a huge target for anything and everything. And we've seen that in a couple, you know, on a couple of occasions in this community, whereas you know, people were you know posting.
contacting people's home addresses and telephone numbers. They were contacting people's employers, people's, you know, family members, um, you know, sending rape threats, sending anything and everything. You know, you had people who were afraid to walk out of their homes. You know, there are some people that dropped out of the community altogether because they were targeted for speaking out on issues that were happening. So, again, you know, some of that ties into things that we've talked about in the past, you know, regarding privilege and, you know, entitlements. And, you know, again, it's, it's, these are issues that need to be discussed. But, you know, I'm wishing, you know, all the women involved that, you know, were violated in some shape, fashion, or form, I'm wishing them nothing but best because, you know, that's really a hard position to be in, especially once they've come out publicly. So we know exactly, you know, who they are, you know. And we know know exactly who some of the trolls are, too. You know, some of the people who go out of their way to defend uh, defend these perpetrators, but also to harass these victims, um, we know what some of those people, some of those people are too. And some of these people have signed these notorious open letters that are supposed to be yeah. about, you know, in inclusiveness and open dialogue and all of these other things. But clearly, um, so it kind of gives you an idea um, about what the real purpose of these letters is, which is to silence these individuals and to silence the community about these kinds of issues and not to really address, um, you know, the real substantive issues that are going on. So. Exactly. And that's the reason why with a couple of the letters, I was just outright against it. And the reason for that is because the way the letters were worded, if you will, is basically mm-hmm. they wanted you to, you know, deal with some of these issues internally and and not speak on it and, you know, let, you know, uh, I guess, you know, an internal counsel or tribunal, if you will, you know, this is the impression that I was getting. And, you know, trying to silence, you know, people and intimidate people into silence. And I'll, I think that that is dangerous. That is dangerous. And it reminds me so much of, you know, some of the systems that we see in place in the church. And, you know, again, I don't want this community to end up going down that same road because, no, no, you know, if that's the case, then we can no longer point the fingers at religious people and say a word because the same crap is happening over here. Yeah, I mean, it's true. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, 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 I mean, it's just further proof that a lot of this stuff, um, while, you know, some of these things are supported by church doctrine, you know, a lot of it is just simply a matter of, um, you know, human nature and um, some of the problems with human nature and our, and our, you know, our ideas about power and who should have it and, you know, that's, that's sort mm-hmm. of where it comes from and, and greed and all of these things, you know, these things are universal. Um, so there's no reason to think that just because you don't believe in God anymore that you avoid all of these issues, you know? 
Exactly. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, that's going to transition us into, you know, another um, topic that we're not going to get into in depth, but I'll just put it this way. You know, just like we've said in the past, I've said in the past, that some people use religion as a shield to shield Mm -hmm. them from, you know, uh, exposing whatever. And I said on a show before that there are some atheists that do the same thing. Don't fool yourself, guys. There are some people that are hiding behind atheism so that they can espouse, you know, their isms or their phobias or what have you. But, again, as I've stated in the past and I've challenged people, even if someone is on the same team as yourself, you still need to be able to take their arguments. Even if you agree with quite a bit of it, but you still need to be able to take their arguments and break it down, just like we do with arguments that are presented by others. We need to be able to do that with each other because, again, you know, um, sprinkle a couple of fallacies in with the truth, most people will think that it's true. But it's those, you know, two, three fallacies that are, you know, part of it that spoils the whole argument. And you need to be able to take them out and understand what it is and know why it ruins the whole pot, if you will. So we have to use critical thinking skills, you know, even when dealing with each other. It's important that we do that. Otherwise, we're setting ourselves up to, you know, basically take the place of the people that, you know, some of the people that we point the fingers at. And, you know, again, you know, I have some issues with the secular community, Um you know, some of this behavior is just unacceptable, period. Totally unacceptable. And that's why we have to point it out and, you know, basically, you know, tell people and show them, you know, what's wrong and what's happening because there are many people who do not want us to tell you guys what's happening and what's going on out there. But that's why I post certain things to my page. Some things I make public, some things not so much. But, you know, if I'm posting something to my wall, more than likely there's something in there that I want you to see. So um, keep that in mind. Definitely keep that in mind. So, you know, all of these open letters that have been written and signed off on, which, you know, on one particular open letter, you know, one of the, you know, major signers of the letter. I just letter. had a thought, Tom. I just had a thought. Uh-huh. And this, I think, and I, I kind of heard it in, I heard it said in Travis's voice. So, Travis, you got to get out of my head. But, <laughs> but, Travis, I heard it in Travis's voice. It's not the open letters that we should be concerned about. It's the closed ones. All right now. <laughs> All right now. So, okay. So what letters? What letters are being passed around that we don't see? <laughs> That's what exactly. I want to know about. <laughs> and we exactly. already know from from the results and fallout from some of these situations that some of those closed letters are actually more revealing. Um, well, are not even more revealing, but are more revealing. Um, this period than these uh, open letters, you know, could ever be. Oh, yes. Open letter says one thing, but the closed letter tells the truth. How about that? 
Everybody tells the truth all the time. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's just a matter of time because, you know, <laughs> it will come out one way or another, and that's how I see that. But, you know, guys, um, you know, all of that being said, you know, just we got to do better. That's all. That's what it all boils down to. We have to do better. But, you know, we're going to segue over to um, our topic today, which is dissent in the feminist community. And, you know, there's always been some sort of, you know, dissension, if you will, different reasons on different levels, different layers, if you will. But um, one that happened most recently was basically there are some accusations out there that seem to be pretty founded, if you will. You know, it's extremely credible to me after I went and looked some of this up. But basically, um, there's a black feminist blogger out there and... Basically, uh, her her essay or her blog that she wrote was basically plagiarized, and it was plagiarized by a white-owned mainstream blog. And basically, when she approached them about that particular situation, Instead of, you know, admitting it or investigating it, what they did was they tried to blame her, so the victim blaming. And, you know, quite a few of the black feminists, you know, defended her and started telling their stories about what's happening out here and institutionalized racism and how some of these white mainstream blogs basically go Twitter and Tumblr trolling so that their stories can consistent with, you know, the people of color, the feminists of color, if you will. So, you know, there's been a lot of that happening. And this is not the first incident of that. And so, yeah, so, you know. Oh, yeah, no, it definitely won't be the last. And, um, you know, you know, it's interesting because, you know, you know, as, as Trudy said, you know, um, this is common with progressives. Everybody is on the same side until someone with privilege wants to take from the oppressed. And this is something that we've seen on, you know, several different occasions. And that's one of the issues when you see people talking about feminism, especially when they break it up, about black feminism, white feminism or womanism or what have you, is that you know, one of the um, narratives that are out there, basically it talks about how black feminists tend to read white feminists, but many white feminists do not read feminists of color. And that's or when where they, do, they basically quote their ideas. Exactly, exactly. And so that's one of the reasons why we've had some issues with intersectionality and, you know, we just we have to figure this out, you know, um yeah, you know it's just it's it's interesting, and 
that's just, you know, so anyway. So, again, going back to, you know, the differences between, you know, black feminism and white feminism is that some white feminists do not recognize their own privilege. Right. And that's one of, yeah, you know, that's one of the issues that we've had to deal with. And, um, you know, with, with that particular incident that we were talking about, you know, they basically started, you know, antagonizing and, and you know, um, trying to intimidate the woman of color who, you know, accused them of plagiarism. And, I mean, you know, where's the professionalism in this? But they they expect us to be professional about everything. But yet, you know, you have someone on Twitter cussing you out because you're upset because someone took your words. How does that work? So, you know, and you know, it's disheartening. You know, you know what's happening there. Our call in number is three one. Nine eight two four two seven three. Again, that's three one zero nine eight two four two seven three. And you know, there's even been some dissent on intersectionality. You know, and there's people, you know, that feel as though um, it should just be, you know, homogenous, if you will, in regards to you know, feminist is a feminist is a feminist. Yet, you know, um, feminists of color, a lot of their needs aren't being addressed, if you will. And, you know, you see some of the same things over here in the secular community as well. And, you know, it's, it's disheartening. It's disheartening because you would think that, you know, with the commonalities that we have, that we will be able to sit down and actually work these things through and be able to, you know, move on and basically be able to move the community forward, be able to evolve, be able to advance the community. You know, that's extremely important that we're able to do these things. And, you know, the uh, feminist community, of course, we're going to have some disagreements. There are some people that think one way, of people that think another way. And, you know, I'll give you another example. And, again, our telephone number is 310-982-4273. And press 1 if you'd like to speak. But um, now, with marriage equality, there are some feminists that take it a little bit further, if you will, Um, Some of them do not necessarily, you know, now this is only, you know, a minute percentage here, very extremely minute, but there are some that do not necessarily agree with marriage equality because of some of the benefits that are given and privileges that are given to married couples that are not extended to single people. Now, I can understand that, you know, and it should be fair across the board that, you know, um, some of the tax incentives, you know, um, and other privileges 
should be extended to single people, and in particular, especially single people with no children, you know, who pay mm-hmm. a higher rate of taxes. But, you know, that still does not negate the fact that you should be able to marry whomever you choose. Right. So, you know, that's one of the issues that I've seen as of late. And so, um, it is, you know, again, we are learning that, you know, you just have different people. You're not always going to agree. And that's fine. It's fine. And life goes on. But at the end of the day, we have to do what's best for, you know, the greater good and to be able to advance our society. But, yeah, you know, um, it's just distressing when you have a group that's marginalized, even further marginalized, if you will, or further oppressed by people who are supposed to be allies. You know, but, you know, again, going back to the plagiarism and the people that are out there content trolling, if you will, um, what they do is they find your information and they'll rewrite it. They'll add a couple of, you know, pieces of information to it to make it seem as though it is theirs. And it's just interesting, but I'm glad that Trudy brought it to the forefront. Um, you know, that's gradientlair.com. You guys need to check her out. Um, she's absolutely phenomenal. But, you know, there were quite a few. You know, you angry black lady. You have, you know, a bunch of different people that have brought that out. But I just think it's important that, you know, we give them some support because, you know, this is their intellectual property. How would you feel if someone came and took, you know, um, something that belonged to you rewrote it and then claimed it as their own. Um, I was gonna say that um another sort of thing that came out was um the uh there was the article that was written by um um I can't think of his name right now, but the um the guy from the roots um he wrote a piece about his experience um as a black man following the, the Trayvon Martin uh, murder verdict, um, he was talking about it, and there was essentially this white a, uh, white feminist writer who, um, who basically just, you know, said, okay, well, you know, that doesn't make a difference. You know, um, here I've been a, a woman on an elevator, you know, clutching my bag, and she basically was privileging her experience over um, – this this gentleman from the roots. Um, mm-hmm. I can't think of his name right now. I'm so blanking, and I'm, I'm kicking myself right now. But um, in any case, um, you know, there was a really good write-up about it in um, Ebony, and I can't remember the person's name at the moment, but she basically blasted this woman and blasted, you know, other white feminists who defended her um, and who do basically similar things. Like whenever a co- person of color... Um, you know, even a man of, uh, particularly men of color, I think, um, you know, bring up, you know, some some issue or experience that they've had that um, somehow white feminists um, some t- come around and um, try to uh, privilege their experience over others. So that's something else to keep in mind. 
And then um, going to what you were saying about the, um, you know, about marriage equality and, and, you know, having, you know, differences of opinion. Like, differences of opinion are fine on certain things, but, like, not every difference of opinion is just, like, a difference, you know, like, you know, like, oh, you like apples, I like, I like carrots, you know, some of them are really, you know, fucked up sort of differences of opinion, um, you know, like calling someone, um, like calling Christians black, you know, black Uncle Tom, um, right. or, um, or, you know, some of the transphobia that you see in certain feminist circles, you know, there are feminists who don't like trans people, um, okay. you know, they, they, they think that they're, uh, conforming to the um, prevailing sort of patriarchal uh, standards for um, for gender, um, and they and they feel that maybe we should be trying to get away from those. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that you know, if feminism is about choice, people should be able to choose how they represent themselves. Um, you know, it, it, and including uh, if they want to. Uh, represent themselves according to the prevailing gender stereotypes or, or gender categories. Um, you know, that's their right, you know? Exactly. I remember I had, um, when we did the show last year on LGBTQIA, and I had someone basically attack me online, if you will about how um, asexuals and intersex uh, and, you know, and even to a certain degree transgender was not a part of the community, but transgender was becoming more accepted. And, you know, it was trying to define, you know, what the LGBTQIA community is. And this is someone that was allegedly an advocate for the community. And it wasn't so much that he disagreed with, you know, those two categories. It was the maliciousness in in which he said it. And I can only imagine, you know, what people have to deal with, you know, on face-to-face, on a frontal, you know, basis there. And it's not easy. It's not easy. And even, you know, more disheartening when it's coming from somebody in your own community. And, you know, that goes back to, you know, a little bit to what you just said about, you know, having, you know, certain people call, you know, black Christians Uncle Tom. You know, of course, you know, I'm still a little hot about that one. But, um, you know, I'm just a little disappointed in, in, in that entire situation. And, you know, people hiding behind their ideology in an effort to and their project. black friends and their black yeah. friends. Right. I mean, some people. Right. I mean, yeah. You know, I have I have black friends who become like the um, hetero the you know the heteronormative you know um, white male you know beard. <laughs> you know how they say you have a beard if you have a. Uh-huh. A female friend that you represent as your girlfriend, but you know right. you're yeah, really gay. Right. You know, racists are using you know I have black friends as their their cover for right. uh, their racism. You know? Exactly. Yeah, using it as a shield. You know, and mm-hmm. that that 
going to give you the right to run around, you know, run around calling somebody an epithet, you know. That does not give you the right to do that. That does not give you the right. I remember way back when um, in a scenario, and basically there was this white woman, and she was using the N-word. And, you know, there were more of us than her. And so we got angry. And she says, well, I'm married to a black man. And a couple of people, they were like, oh, okay. And I was like, no, it's not okay. And, of course, you know, she was reported for that. And, you know, it's just amazing. You know, it's just it's absolutely amazing. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's you know, <laughs> you know, it's, oh, anyway, you know, it, it just goes on. And, you know, we have to address it. We have to call it out. We have to, you know, challenge it. And so, you know, so... You know, that's how that goes. So, but anyway, um, you know, that's, <laughs> you know, um, it's, it's interesting, you know, and life goes on. But, yeah, yeah, you know, you see a lot of that. And, you know, that's why I'm glad, you know, these types of things are being called out and that people are willing to put their name and face to the scenario, and it's only, it's more to come. I just think this is, you know, the beginning, you know, of, you know, I just think it's going to be a domino effect. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Right. I mean, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um, but, yeah, thanks for taking that that guy out. I knew, I knew where it was headed, but I wanted to give him enough rope to hang himself with. But, um, <laughs> but the, um, now that's why you heard me hesitate for a minute because I was like, "Oh, really? Okay." So I guess, mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, but yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's, um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's it's one of those things. It's like, um, I think, um, you know, just like on the sort of atheist side, there are people in the, you know, in feminist communities who are waking up to some of the things that people of color and um, other minorities are, you know, talking about as problems uh, within, you know, their communities, you know, problems of visibility, uh, representation, you know, um, addressing sort of the real needs of um, of these communities, Um, you know, you know, like, um, like birth control, for example, birth control is an issue for, you know, uh, access to birth control is an issue for black women, but also, an issue for black women is access to healthcare. You know, is mm-hmm. um, is access to living wage jobs, is access to um, to schools that will provide their children with a decent education. You know, a, a quality education. Um, you know, there are other issues that impact. Um, you know, the concerns about birth control and. And, um, and and women's health that are unique to um, you know black and brown women, you know, um, right? That don't that aren't always brought up in these conversations. So um, you know, 
I'm glad that there are women out there that are vocal about this, and I'm glad that there seem to be some um, mainstream feminists who are paying attention. You know? Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, we have to. And that's, you know, one of the wonderful things about, um, you know, again, the Internet and Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, you know, just these different social medias is that, you know, we're able to pass information along and we're able to do the research, we're able to, you know, compile the information and share it with one another. And I just think that's phenomenal. And, you know, it it can only help grow the community, but it also helps us expand our minds, expand our thought process, if you will, and to be able to share that with other people because, you know, there are some people who never thought about feminism or any aspect of it or they had, you know, the wrong idea about feminism, you know, and we've been able to kind of educate them about some things. So, you know, I'm very proud of that. You know, I love getting those mm-hmm. notes when people say, well, I never quite thought about it that way. Right. I mean, and there, and and there think, are other issues, too. And, oh, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Go. No, go ahead, huh? I was going to say there are other issues, too, to consider, like, um, you know, um, I, you know, I've been um, reading uh, different things, and, of course, you know, there's, um, there is a movement um, to get more women to breastfeed their children, or at least the pump. Um, and this has been um, especially sort of important in um, the black community because um, very few um, black women breastfeed, uh, particularly for long, longer periods of time. And so, um, you know, there are, there are um, women who work in sort of the breastfeeding sort of awareness, you know, uh, movement, you know, who have said that there are some um, cultural misunderstandings um, and, and things that are, are, are not being addressed um, by the wider sort of push for, you know, women to, you know, breastfeed and things like that, um, that there um, is a need for, uh, you know, culturally sensitive education and other things, you know. So these are, these are other things that sort of come up in sort of, you know, feminist discussion, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the white privilege and how it sort of blinds people to the particular needs of, um, of certain certain other kinds of women, the other women who are not often represented by the mainstream movement frequently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, um, but that's, like I said, that's the beauty of, you know, having this type of technology afforded to us now. And, you know, basically we we have been creating our own forms. We've been creating, you know, um, you know, like um, with Awkward Black Girl, you know, she created her own series and now it's been sold to HBO. And, you know, I'm really proud of her. And I've seen other endeavors that have, you know, uh, transcended, if you will, and that's a wonderful thing, And but at the end of the day, it goes back to, you know, what we were saying earlier, you know, no one wants their intellectual property poached. No one wants, you know, uh, you know, to be made to feel as though, you know, what you have to say and your issues aren't important until the mainstream decides and designates it as being important, you know, and and. Some people tend to not 
understand why that's so offensive to us. And when we try to explain about the privilege, then they get offended. So, I mean, what are we going to do? How are we ever going to have this conversation? You know, so, you know, it's just, it's just interesting. Um, yeah. I was going oh, to say one other thing. Okay, so, um, and this is something that sort of has come up for me um, in particular um, this weekend because I, watch, I watched a movie um, um, for, it, I watched a movie about Linda Lovelace. It's, um, it's called Lovelace. Um, and, you know, for those of you that don't know, Linda Lovelace was, um, a major porn uh, pornography uh, star, um, yeah. Especially after the the film that she did called Deep Throat, um, which is a major cultural phenomenon, um, actually played in in theater in in uh, I think at least two theaters in New York almost daily for ten for ten years after it came out and grossed over I think six hundred million dollars despite the fact yeah. that she only needs twelve hundred dollars. Um twelve hundred and fifty dollars, I'm sorry. For for her for her part in the production. But um what it was so interesting about about it was is that she was heralded as this um courageous, um, you know, sort of sex symbol, um, someone who was uh emblematic of the free love, you know, um, sexual revolution that occurred in this country. And what I found so fascinating, I found it fascinating for a couple of reasons. For one, there was the abuse that was going on in her marriage and the fact that her husband had put her up to this and, and forced her essentially into the business. Um, but the other part of it is is that is how different, uh, differently sexuality or, or openness to sexuality is read in, um, in the feminist movement, not just, um, not just like for white feminists, um, not just by like black feminists reading white feminists or or white feminists reading white feminists, but also white feminists reading black feminists or, or black women who are open with their sexuality. Because um, there are a lot of women who are held up in you know by white feminists being you know open and free and you know with their bodies and their bodies. But then someone like a Beyonce is um, you know they're they're being attacked because they wear a leotard to perform at a concert. You know. Right. And or, or they twerk, you know what I mean? And it's like, how? Why is that? Um, why does that happen? You know, or um, this idea that um, about the slut walks, and then uh, at one of the slut walks, they actually had, um, you know, signs that basically read, uh, "Woman is the nigger of the world." And you know, of course, for many of us black feminists, we're thinking to ourselves, well, "What does that make us?" You know, if woman right. is the nigger of the world, then what does that make, you know, the niggers of the world and the nigger women of the world, you know? Um, that is the question that many of us had, and so many of us were um, not into uh, this whole slut walk movement and, and what have you, um, particularly because our sexuality is never read as being particularly revolutionary or... Um, or being, um, you know, free and a, a sort of exemplary. Our sexuality is always read as pathological or um, mm-hmm. something that needs to be controlled. You know, right, right, and and, and that's, that's the truth. That also has to be kept in mind. Say that again. I'm sorry. 
I said, and so that's something that has to be kept in mind when we talk about oh, yeah, particularly between black feminists and white feminists. Right, exactly. You know, it's it's important that, you know, we keep all of this in mind. It's just, you know, going back to what you just said about showing, you know, um, black or people of color, you know, couples of color, if you will. And, you know, I've seen different articles and I've observed this on my own as well. It is very rare that you'll see, you know, a lovely that is very tender, very loving, um, um, giving, if you will, with, you know, of course, some passion in there, if you will. But, you know, we're not always portrayed. You know, it's very rare that we're portrayed, you know, um, in that particular context. And that's why I think it's important that, you know, we have these independent filmmakers out here, that we have independent writers, you know, bringing it back to the center here. But, you know, we have independent, you know, people of color, feminists of color out here, you know, um, shaping their craft. But, you know, the unfortunate part about it is that what they were so freely sharing, you know, many of them, you know, as though they can't share that, you know, information anymore. Because you have people out here stealing their content. And it's unfortunate right. because I've learned so much from different people. And, you know, if that's the case, you know, there should be quite a few people that will be, you know, locking their material, locking their stuff down. And so, you know, again, yeah, you know, someone in the chat room says we have to remain visible and silent. And that's what it seems like in some cases because when you come out and you exert yourself, see, you know, if 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 it was a man, he would be, you know, asserting himself. He would be, you know, being a strong man. When a woman does it, we're a bitch, right? Well, and, uh, before, you, before you continue, I just wanted to say one thing about the sex scenes and the way our sexuality is portrayed. Um, I would definitely agree that there needs to be a wider, uh, you know, a broader sort of base of representation for, you know, black sexuality, black characters, everything. But I think that I, I'm hesitant when I hear people say things like you need more scenes to kind of show um, black people sort of in a tender sexuality. I don't think that there really needs to be the um, that we need to be creating false dichotomies between um, sort of this tender, love-making type of portrayal of sexuality and sort of the more hardcore types of sexuality. People enjoy sex in a lot of different contexts. Sometimes they like it, you know, they like it rough. Sometimes people like it, you know, soft and romantic and gentle. You know what I mean? And I think that we should be um, putting our our sexuality into boxes like that. I think what's more important is to have um, conversations or portrayals that show that, you know, that sex occurs in all of these different facets and it doesn't have to just be about, you know, uh, connection, you know, spiritual connection or, or sort of emotional connection with the human being. Sometimes it's just about pleasure. Sometimes it's about it's about different things in different contexts and you know, we can we can celebrate all of those things without um, privileging one type of experience over another. And I think that's part of why, um, you know, like that's, that's kind of where, like, the words, like, fucking and stuff come from is, is sort of putting down 
some of those other ways of having sex. I mean, you know, the missionary style, you know, missionary style was the only type of way to have sex, you know, for a long time, or the only acceptable form of sex that was supposed to happen between two people. And, you know, in, um, you know, in, in many societies for a very long time, um, it took, it took sort of being open about it and having more conversations about it for it to come into the open. Of course, you have, you know, um, Dr. Kinsey and the Kinsey Institute, you know, showing that people were having sex in all of these different ways, you know what I mean? Whether or not they were saying so openly, you know, it's, it's, it's understanding that um, sexuality is fluid and that sex is, it, it, it's, it's the thing that we do with our bodies is fun and we share it with people who we want to share it with and we don't with who we don't. And that's okay. You know? Right. So There you go. <laughs> Travis there is a mess. Go. I see him <laughs> in the academy. He said the only words he heard were like it rough. Anyway. Um.
um, and say that if you if if, if you expect a man to pick up, I'm sorry, to the societal the societal expectation that a man picks up a sex um, is just ridiculous to me. That somehow her her feelings about gender inequality are invalidated by that one thing. Now that's not to say that I think that men should always pick up the check. I could, I mean, I could care less who picks up the check. Who, who picks up the check is between those two people, you know. Right. If if, if if between those two people, the man is comfortable picking up the check all the time, then that's what it is. You know what I mean? If they split it, they split it. If she takes it all the time, she takes it all the time. It's between those two people. But the fact of the matter is, is that gender inequality is, it speaks to a number of issues that are much grander than who picks up a check. You know, we're talking about health, we're talking about politics, we're talking about, you know, economics, we're talking about all of these things. You know, education, you know. We're, we're talking about a lot of different issues. So I, I hope that I don't have to hear that from too many other people. I usually don't, but I just had to put it out there. Like, if you hear this, do not say that in my presence, because you will get checked on it, I promise. There you go. There you go. Well, one of the arguments that I heard as of late, you know, and this was, you know, a conversation between me and someone else, and she, you know, when I was saying, we were talking about feminism, and she was like, well, you can't pick up. You know, and she pointed to the shelving unit, which was very large and very heavy. And she was like, a man can. And I was like, no, he can't. I'm like, that shelving unit is probably two, 300 pounds. And I said, he would have to use a dolly just like anyone else as a matter of balance. And I'm like, now, would I pick it up? Would I try to pick that up? No. And I said, but I will get the funds to pay some men to pick it up and move it for me. But what difference does it make it get moved? But Kim, notice that a lot of the arguments that are made uh, against women, about against women's equality um, and against um, racial equality are ableist arguments often. You know, they're arguments of, oh, they're not intelligent enough. Oh, they, um, or in the case of black people, oh, they're they're more suited to, you know what I mean? Right. To, to, Uh you know, doing manual labor or, you know, um, or women can't lift that, or women can't do, or they can do, or can't do, or can't do. You know what I mean? Can and can't do is right. are the main arguments um, that are being used. And they're and they're and they're and when you examine them, each one of them, they're all ridiculously flawed. I mean, not every man is able to to do the same things as the next man, um, but yet we still regard them as men. You know, um, whatever that is in terms of society, but the main thing is that we regard them as human beings, and we regard them as human beings who, are, who have full agency and are able to, um, to you know, have voice and, um, and assert themselves in particular ways. Um, and when we make these arguments, we have, to, we have to recognize that you're essentially putting, you know, women or minorities or whoever else into a category that's, that's separate. Exactly. You know? so, Recognize that. I, I just had to put that out there because I, you know, I was talking to somebody about about it and they kept making these uh, sort of ableist arguments. And I was like, do you, you do realize that like that's, those are some of the same things that they said about black people? So why black people can't do things? Exactly. Or things. Yeah. No, you're absolutely but correct. We don't it's accept those things. Right, but we don't accept those sorts of things on the basis of race. But we accept them 
um, you know, on the basis of sex. And, and we have to wonder why is that, you know? Um, exactly. Because, and, I, and I think a lot of it is because you find, um, you know, patriarchy in, in most, if not all, cultures. Um, so it's, it's much more normalized, you know? Whereas right. racism has not, racism, in, in particularly in, in the form that it's been used in the West, has not necessarily been as much a part of human history as sexism has. So I think that we've just accepted that women are lesser on that right. issue. Exactly, which is, you know, kind of, you know, kind of explains some of the pushback that feminists receive, you know, when they're trying to convey that women are just as able as men, just as intelligent, you know, um, you know, it, it's, it's just, to me, it's a lot of the mindset that needs to be changed and these arguments and, you know, they're going forth as well as the science is backing it up. Um, and we're making progress slowly but surely, you know, I wish we would be able to make more progress more quickly, but, I guess some is better than none, but, you know, that's why it takes more people standing up and criticizing, you know, a lot of these isms and phobias and, you know, um, critiquing it and challenging it. So we need to get out there and we need to do more of that. Kim is so funny. She can find, Kim is so funny. She can find, like, the positive side in anything. Like, she'll just, she'll look at that. She'll look down at her breakfast and be like, oh, they didn't spit in my eggs today. Yay! <laughs> and the rest of us are like, okay, but they're still, they're still brown. Like, they're still, they're still style. You know? They're still barely edible. Like, Kim's like, they didn't spit in them. That's awesome. No, I'm just kidding, Kim. It's <laughs> not that bad, but no, but you can you you can find a positive side in anything. It's so funny. But uh, <laughs> well, I try, I try really hard. I know you. Did. Like, I, know you, you, you I know you stretch. That was a real stretch. I could I could feel you. Uh, you're all loose and limber about now, but um, <laughs> <laughs> we want people to walk away feeling good you know, learning something a little bit more educated on, you know, issues. And and so, you know, that's that's what it's all about. And, you know, today I believe we were able to convey quite a bit of, you know, what's happening out there, what's been going on. And, you know, it's just it's important for people to understand, you know, what's happening around them. And that goes back to something, you know, I posted um, one of the articles that one of the women wrote earlier this week, I'm going back to one of our earlier conversations. And, you know, um, basically she was saying that, you know, she was like a magnet for sexual deviance. And so, you know, what I wanted to convey again is, it's not necessarily anything she said or did to attract a certain subset of culture, if you will, with something they just find. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to say anything special. There are just some people that will target you. And it happens on many different occasions. Uh, believe me, you know, you all don't know half the stuff that's happening on the back end. 
and, you know, some of the things that we have to deal with. And like I said, you don't have to do anything. You wouldn't believe some of the emails and inboxes that we get. And it's just it's amazing. And especially when you start dealing with some people with issues of privilege, you know, and it turns into, well, why don't you like what I said? Well, why won't you respond to me? Or why can't we A, B, C, D, or E? And there are some people out there, some men in particular, that will not take no for an answer until you have the cops call their house. Then all of a sudden, then you don't have to worry about it too much more, at least at that moment. But, you know, it's unfortunate. It shouldn't have to get to that point. It should not have to get to that point. So, again, you know, we're, we're wishing these women well. And, you know, if there's anything that we can do, you know, please let us know, even though there's not really too much we can do besides give you give support. And, um, you know, hopefully this will encourage others to stand up for their rights and, you know, not allow this type of behavior to continue. And, again, some of the organizations that signed on to that letter earlier this year, you know, some of them are complicit in some of this. And, you know, even afterwards, you know, there were some, you know, couple of incidents, if you will. So, and these non-answers, you know, response letters from these organizations, they're non-responses. It's a response but it's nothing there. And they're disingenuous at best. So got to do better. Got to do better, especially, you know, if you're offending, you know, 50% of the population. Now, you know, I haven't seen the stats as to the percentage of women in the secular community, but I'm willing to bet we're more than 10% of the secular community. Right. So you got to do better at these things. You got to put the information out there, and we got, you know, um, we have to move forward. So, yeah, on that note, I think we're going to shut it down a little bit early today. But let me see here. This week, coming up this week, Wednesday, we will have Marcus. And, or MC Brooks, and not quite sure what his topic is going to be about, but we'll be posting that. Let's see here, Friday, M and Evil, and Sunday, my show will be Political Functions of the God Concept. And that's what's coming up this week, everybody. Thank you for your support. Hit the archives up. We have plenty of them for you to choose from. Last Thursday, we had Vita. Education to Incarceration. Friday, we had Alfred and Carl, Respectability Politics. Saturday, Raina with Mixed Topics. And, you know, for those of you that didn't catch the whole show, you can, you know, replay the archives after this. And, again, we appreciate each and every one of you guys. And you all have a lovely rest of the Sunday evening. Take care, and we definitely, definitely thank you guys for being a part of the Black Freethinker experience.
take care, everybody. <laughs>